0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Doctors podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Damon. Damon Davis, looking forward to this conversation, Damon.
1: Yeah, me too. Absolutely, Simon. Great to be back with you, man. Yeah. So,
0: um, people, Damon's just been telling me, he's he's been running his podcast six years now, right? Yeah. Um, no. Wow, I, I'm just, a, I, I'm just a still in diapers or
1: nappies, as we'd say, you know, like coming up three years. <laughs> I think you're a toddler now. If if we're talking about ages, oh, okay. you're definitely up and yeah. running around the house making a mess. So making chaos, making yeah, chaos. you've been you've been doing some great work for what is it three years now? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. thank
0: you, thank you. And um, Damon's been on the show as you uh, as regular listeners will know, and there's a there'll be a link into that uh, show in the show notes. But um, Damon kind of came on when I asked him to to uh, add to our healing series, right? So focus. Of uh, the thriving adoptees, right now at the moment is is healing. So,
1: what does healing mean to you, Damon? Gosh it it means a variety of things, honestly, because it's not just one moment in time. It's not just one feeling. It's not just a singular process. Sometimes people need compound processes to heal. So, when I think about healing, I think about initially sort of the recognition of what the challenge is, right? The recognition of a person possibly needing help, the recognition of someone's trauma or having been hurt, uh, recognition of a need to connect in this adoptee space. Many people are seeking or thinking about reunion. And some people, I'll say, some people think about reunion very overtly. I want to go find my birth mother and other people you know i'll say they'll sit in their bed late at night and they'll think to themselves i wonder what my original name was let me google that let me google where i was born so i think that that realization of wanting to search comes in in various forms but back to healing i think that healing is all of those different components that i've already named plus the processes that you go through which don't always work. Sometimes we have to attempt more than one process to get to a space where you actually feel like you're beginning to heal. You may have to try more than one therapist or type of therapy. Um, there's different ways that we engage with our healing journey. And and I think that a a big piece of healing is truly your mindset. And it can be a struggle for people to overcome their own Mindset. I think that often adoptees start to take on their adoption experience as definitive, right? That thing happened to me, therefore, that's who I am. And I would definitely encourage adoptees to try to separate the identity of what happened to you from who you actually are. Um and and I think that that is a big part of healing too is recognizing sort of who you are, who you want to be, and really getting inside your own head to make sure that you lay down the constructs that are going to allow you to get to the to where you want to go in terms of your own healing journey so I've said a lot let me let you let me pause and see what you want to dig into there yeah so that separation um
0: from our story um that separation from our past that separation from the event um it, is that why you call the pod your podcast who am i really because it's that it, it's that separation it, it, it's this it's the person that's been through all that
1: yeah it, so a couple of things there i want to just make sure that i'm clear i'm not saying forget about what happened to you because i actually believe that an individual should for lack of better words, own the story that happened to them. You know, you you can't deny what put you into adoption, how you were treated as an adoptee, how your adoption reunification process went. You can't deny that. Those things did happen. But the way that you were treated should not be the way that you think of yourself. And that's what I'm trying to encourage people to do is separate from the treatment, the trauma, the challenges, the sorrows from actually letting them be the definition of how you describe yourself. That's kind of what I'm alluding to in there. So I I hope I've made that a little clearer. In terms of the reason I call the podcast, Who Am I Really?, I selected that name because it hit me that as an adoptee might start to truly, for lack of better words, come out of the fog, start to, and I think of coming out of the fog is actually realizing what adoption means, that you as a child were separated from your original family and placed in another family and raised in that family. And for children who are raised most often as infants in adoption, it can take a little bit longer if you didn't grow, if you grew up with the knowledge that you were adopted and sort of got comfortable with it, it'll take you a little while longer sometimes to come to this realization that, wait a minute, I've got another family out there. Like, who are these people that I don't know? And so this is where the genesis of the name Who Am I really comes from for me is When you make that realization that you're a child of people you don't know, it suggests that there is a life that you might have had with those people that you didn't have because you were placed in adoption and therefore grew up under a different set of uh, norms, under a different pair of people, of, of parents who have a different kind of outlook on life than perhaps the one that you were naturally born into. So the question of who am I really is as a person who grew up in this family over here who am I really if I had would have grown up in this family over here my my family of origin so that's kind of how the name comes comes to be for me
0: yeah i i really like the way that you uh described the uh, the complexity of it and this kind of start-stop nature of it, and it's not one process. So um, I think you know, when I, I had Pamela Karanova on the show a couple of weeks ago, and she, she was talking a lot about uh, grief, right? Mm. And the thing that came to my mind was this Kubler Ross curve, it's like a U-shaped curve um mm. that describes the different stages of grief. And uh, Pamela was saying that that is a, a a mass oversimplification and I and i I think that there are far more accurate models should we say mm-hmm. of grief and and I so I, I love the way that you' were saying that it, it it's it's not just one process it's got it's got it's uh, it's a, a stop start thing um and you may need more than one yeah so you may need more than one Therapist, you may need more than one process. Do you think that we over, as as a as doctors, to what extent do you think we oversimplify the 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 process?
1: I don't know that we intentionally oversimplify it as much as perhaps we just wish it was easier, right? I just want to be kind of done with this. You know, it's. It's for some people, it's like a job that you can never quit. You work there forever in some instances, right? And and so this constant need to do some work to try to get o- to overcome some things or to once you have overcome them, stay on balance, not fall back into some previous cycles that perhaps you had gotten over, but you find yourself triggered and therefore back in some old habits it can be a it can be a lifelong journey for some folks and so this notion that there's any you know sort of easy to identify diagram of how this healing journey will work it, i think is impossible because every single person's going to have multiple different steps to their journey some people will have a nice deep u shape right i was doing just fine Things went off the rails, but I've recovered and I'm back on the flat plane. And then there are going to be others who have uh, multiple peaks and valleys over the course of their entire life. I was just speaking with a woman recently who was telling me about pieces of her journey and she just discovered a whole brand new set of information about her own biology biology and family ties that shocked her. And, And she's already, you know... She's already written the book on what happened to her already. Now she's got a whole different book because a whole new set of information has come out. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm joking that she's got a whole new book. She has a whole new story to tell and a whole new voyage of discovery to go down. And I say that to say that in any one person's journey, there are going to be potentially multiple peaks and valley, valleys. You could have, you know, a peak of having an amazing adoption and a valley of this coming out of the fog, if it affects you that way, in a, in what I will loosely term a negative way to indicate the valley. And then you may be down in that valley for a long period of time. There may be a long flat down there where you're exploring um, what your feelings are and trying to get some level of truth. If you're not able to find facts, for example, if you have begun a search and found a grave, or if you've not been allowed, quote unquote, to fi- to start a search because your adoptive parents have forbidden you, as it were, um, you could be in that valley for a very long period of time. And then, you know, I'm making this up as I go, but have some peaks as you get bits of information and you start to feel more and more identified with your biological family. And then have some valleys again, if you identify them, connect with them. And unfortunately, they don't want to know you right you could see how that could be yet another valley in this healing journey this whole thing i've described so far is part of the healing journey it could be another peak that they change their mind and they want to know you um and there could be more valleys if your adoptive parents find out that you've searched and they didn't want you to and you now are no longer in a relationship with them or any of your extended family so i made up that scenario as i was talking but the point is that there that was one possible healing journey and it didn't have any kind of uniform description of uh, you couldn't ha- you could not have plotted that on a graph or made a nice even sort of um you know mathematical representation of what most adoptees will go through because everybody's adoption journey is going to be very very different from others
0: yeah. so you also talked about that um, the the mindset stuff and uh, because I come from a space of um, business development into personal development then into trauma busting if you if we if we would kind of uh, sum up my journey in um, one sentence Uh, I'm used to hearing a lot about mindset but in the adoptee community we don't hear a lot about mindset it's it's Mm -hmm. it's basically basically it's trauma all the way it's trauma mm-hmm. all the way, or oh, it, it, it's it's stories, it's trauma, mm-hmm. and and it's healing. Mindset doesn't really seem to come in, doesn't get a lot of airspace in the in in adoptee land to me. What what, yeah. what does what does
1: mindset mean to you? For me, first, I want to acknowledge what you said. There is a lot of trauma across the adoptee community. And and I I do not want to diminish it for what it has done to people. So I hope people are not listening to me saying, "Oh, that guy's got it easy. He doesn't think that that, that my trauma is valid." I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that the trauma that has transpired is one, not your fault. Two, something that I do believe you can heal from, and. Three, a big component of that healing comes from your own mindset as to what your healing journey is going to look like. If if you, I believe that if you start your healing journey with sort of no positive goal in mind, it's unlikely you're going to get there. If you start your healing journey from a place of sort of wallowing in despair Without a a defined sort of feeling of I want to get out of this and I'm going to do everything that I can to do so, then I think it will be a much longer journey. And I realize that that's very hard for people, but I do believe that you know a positive mindset towards what's possible, towards your future, towards overcoming some of the things that you've ever felt about your adoption um, can be incredibly valuable without at all diminishing what in fact has happened to you or what didn't happen to you, right? If you feel, um, if you had felt for the longest time that you really, truly wanted reunion and it never happened, that could also be a traumatic experience for an individual. So I want to acknowledge it's both what did happen to you and potentially what did not happen. Uh, But I think that, a strong positive mindset for accepting who you are as a person and that everything else is sort of outside of you can be incredibly valuable yeah so um i would like to hear more people talking about mindset i had a i had a gentleman write to me recently he was a former guest on the show and he said that he was in the forums and was reading about Uh, a lot of adoptees challenges and that there was a lot of complaining. And he said it can be really tiresome to try to be in these places and be supportive. Um, and, And I understood where he was coming from. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity for people to layer some positivity, some true support. And I do see that in the forums. Um, for each other, because I think that the forums, the community, the podcasts, the artistic expressions, the writings, the blogs, the books are all alleviating the pressure on people who are feeling tightly wound about their experience. And, and I think we have to allow these pressure valves to release um, in in safe ways. But I think that a, a positive mindset for what the possibilities are is, is truly an invaluable asset to have.
0: Yeah. One of, uh, you mentioned that, that word, um, complaining and I, you know, the other thing that comes to me is, is there's uh, further on from that is kind of like a, um, righteous anger. So I, I'm doing some therapy at the moment and I've be, I'm becoming, I thought, I, I thought I was done with anger. And, mm-hmm. and no, it, it's been a, um, it's been basically a, uh, an invisible screen on, mm-hmm. on my lens, on my, on, on my lens. Yeah. It, it, it's mm-hmm. been, it's, it, it's been a, it's been like low level air conditioning hum that mm-hmm. you stop being aware of. You, 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 stop, it stops registering at all, um, and you only notice it when it's gone when the icon cl- clicks off uh one of the things that i'm i think i'm seeing at, at the moment is that we 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 might be judging uh 60s and 70s parenting against today's knowledge
1: you that's know? a
0: great point that's a bruce, really great point bruce bruce perry and, and, and Bessel van der Kolk and all these guys that write all these great books that people I don't uh, and it, like the primal wound didn't come out until 9293 right so mm-hmm. are we are we judging you know like, and I, I've I don't think I've I've had I moments of of judging my um parents but it 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 is it, it's been very sporadic um it's not been a constant thing. But I, I'm, I'm getting a hand, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm being a bit more grateful for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not for being uh, adopted, but dr- grateful f- f- for them. I mean, I, I jokingly sometimes um, hold up to the camera a, a leaflet that was in my adoption file uh, and 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 it's it's basically a, a adoptive, a, a, an adoptive parenting guide, right? Uh, it's about two pages of A4. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all there was in 1967, right?
1: Yeah, that's the whole manual that's right the there. Whole, on that's on the whole thing. Yeah,
0: there was no training. What's there was no, there was like, and I don't even know if my parents got a copy of that. Doc, document it it seems it's in my adoption file with all their letters from the social workers to my um to my birth mum and and to my parents and all the back and forth and all that sort of stuff but yeah we are judging we are judging uh, you know pa- parenting skills of the 60s trauma awareness of the skills of the 60s yeah stuff, you know, yeah
1: I, I want to dig back to something that you brought up that I'm not sure will be clear to the listeners you said that you were you had the low hum of sort of anger, but but that you have also come to appreciate your parents. And there's an interesting thing that happens here that I think a lot of adoptees haven't necessarily registered yet. And that is that it's legit for you to have two feelings at the same time. I can not be happy that I had to be placed for adoption and at the same time, be grateful for the parents that I did grow up with. So there's, I think a lot of times in the adoptee community, people feel like they should only feel one thing at a time. I'm either angry or grateful, but I am not both. And I would argue that you can share, you can have two emotions about a situation at the same time you can be uh grateful that you were adopted and um and angry about some other element of adoption for example you can be you know pissed off that you were abused by someone in the adoptive family but so thankful that um, your adoptive family supported, your reunion journey and you've got wonderful connections with your biological family. So there's, you can, you can have two components of anger, even on the same person. I can be mad that my, you know, birth mother uh, did one thing, but completely happy for the fact that my birth mother and I are at least connected and that she'll talk to me and this, that, and the other. So there's, you can have two comp seemingly competing emotions at the same time that's perfectly legitimate and it happens all the time in other parts of our lives yeah
0: i that's leads me on to uh one of the other things i'm noticing at the moment and i'm i guess i'm noticing it through my own lens first right so if we there are two things going on here right we've got some relinquishment trauma Mm -hmm. and we've got some parented trauma so yes. we've got some trauma that stems from um, being placed uh, and losing our birth mum, and we've got some uh, we've got some other trauma that happened after the adoption and that happened in the family that was raised with. And I count myself very lucky having. I didn't I didn't know how lucky I had it had it, the second mm-hmm. part until I started engaging with the uh, with fellow adoptees like three years ago now I mm-hmm. didn't but I, I think the two the two things get as you I, I agree that they're totally um over it's oversimplified and um we we can hold the two the the, the, the the two things can be held at the same time the two feelings can be held at the same time. And at the other side, I'm starting to get the impression that uh, this is just my opinion, right? that we, we uh, underestimate, we adoptees underestimate the influence of the, of the parented trauma. We hang kind of more on the relinquishment trauma because Nancy Berrio talks about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's just, and whether it makes any difference or not, I don't know. But that's the kind of the sense I'm getting. Do you get that sense at all, or
1: can you say it a different way? I'm not sure I caught what you were saying. Sure.
0: Um Do we do we underestimate the impact of what goes on in the adoptive family, and overestimate the impact of what happened before the adoption?
1: Yeah, I. I think you're on to something there. And of course, let's just be clear. None of the things that we're saying here are blanket statements because everybody has a different experience in adoption. We are not a monolith as a community. We're, we're very different in our experiences. But for those families who adopted because they couldn't conceive a child, because they conceived a child and lost that child because of any other reason that left them in a position of wanting to raise a child, but an inability to have their own. Yes, there is that trauma in there. And I've I've started to talk about this more and more. The fact that one adoption starts, there's this common phrase, adoption is trauma, right? right? And the truth is, We talk about it very much, as you've indicated, from the adoptee perspective, right, that I, as an infant child, was separated from my biological mother, which was the the home that I knew for nine months before I was brought into the world. And then I was suddenly separated. What we talk about less is the fact that while there was a reason that the child was available for adoption, the mother didn't feel like she could raise the child. She was forced to place the child, whatever societal pressure There's a reason that the child was available to be adopted. There's also, on the other side, a reason that the adoptive parents were in a position to consider adoption. And it's usually, not always, but it's usually not a joyous, fun, easygoing, whimsical decision on their part. There are families who say, you know what? I've got children and I have more love and I would love to bring another child into this family and offer them an opportunity to thrive in this world. I'm not diminishing that. I'm simply saying that for those families that did have this trauma of their own, of having conceived and lost, of having an inability to conceive at all or any other variation on that challenge, they are coming into the adoption community with That, for lack of better words, baggage of their missing child that they were able to conceive on their own. And so I think it's important to acknowledge all of those pieces of trauma. The adoptive birth, the birth mother starting it all off with her, for lack of better words, inability to keep her child or desire not to keep her child. Then the child's separation from that mother, and then the adoptive family's reasons for needing or wanting to adopt. There's, there's all kinds of challenge across all three of those pieces of the adoption sort of process. And I think it's important that we give weight and light and consideration and grace and empathy to all of those, because every single piece that I've described there and probably more have some level of healing that they need to do.
0: Wow um
1: we we talked about this
0: uh the the, the curves and we're saying that uh, it's not a monolith and we're saying that we 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 can't oversimplify it but i gotta you know uh i've gotta dive into what's the what helps us heal you know like I, I I felt your I felt your um frustration you know you said um you talking about people becoming frustrated we 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 just we we just want to be done mm-hmm. we, we we just want to be done what what helps us get there what 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 what's the drive of that of the
1: uptick yeah it's a good question because you know you're not There's some people that will never be done, right? And that's just the, that's natural. Like for myself, I'll be honest with you. I had a great adoption with two wonderful parents. They divorced, but that's just adult stuff that I didn't, you know, I couldn't have helped when I was a kid. Um, I had a great life growing up, went to college and graduate school and had a a bunch of amazing experiences in life. Like my life was pretty great. When my son was born, it was the catalyst for me to start to search among other things. And when I found my biological family members, I found my birth mother, you know, working right around the corner from here in Washington, D.C. Another, like, it's an amazing story. It's an incredible journey. And still, after these positive experiences and locating my biological family and connecting with them and being well-received and everything, you still can't help thinking to yourself, man, I, I didn't know these people for 36 years. I missed out on so much. While, and this goes back to what I said before, you can have two feelings at the same time. I lament the fact that I didn't have these life experiences with them. While at the same time, I'm extremely thankful for the experiences I did get in being in my adoptive family and growing up in the world that that they introduced me to. So I, I guess there is... I So I still think about those things, you know, in terms of connection to biological family and years lost. And so, like I said, like the, the healing is never complete. But I think, again, the level of any the, any measure of positivity that you can find in your journey or in yourself is going to be incredibly valuable towards your healing process. And sometimes that doesn't actually come from yourself. It can come from other people. So for you and me, Simon, we have podcasts where we elevate the voices of other adoptees. And it's that connection to someone else's story where an adoptee is listening and saying, oh, my gosh, someone else has experienced this, too. I'm not alone. And now they can they can hear how someone else got through that element of their journey. I've had people reach out to me and say, you know, Damon, your show was really helpful for me in some dark times. And, and that's incredibly powerful because what I'm hearing in that is the person was not in a space that they could heal themselves, but they they needed someone else in the community to attach to, to listen to, to learn from. And this comes in the form of podcasts, books, blogs, artistic expressions of poetry and performance and and All kinds of things, right, Uh, from social media and from, you know, the the online communities that we create together. I think there's a lot that comes from community is what I'm trying to say from adoptees not necessarily continuing to feel alone. I was just telling someone the other day, I could be sitting at a table for dinner and be talking to someone who's not adopted about my story because I always share it wherever I go. And I'll I'll be enlightening them on this process of coming out of the fog and realizing what adoption is and all this other stuff. And I will tell them and point around the table to all of the other 10, 12, 15, 20 people we're sitting with. And I'll say, what you don't realize is there's probably another adoptee among us here and you'll never know it because we don't talk about it publicly. So it can feel very alone. And that, I believe, is the power of, The adoptee community is that we have self-identified in a place where we can come together and support each other. And that has value beyond measure because up till the time that a person finds the adoptee community, they probably felt very much alone. So I think the human healing comes a lot from inside of ourselves, but also uh, from the support of many, many other people who know what it is to be adopted. Um, I saw something
0: great on social this morning, and it it was something like it takes an experience to counter another experience. Mm-hmm. So it this is we're talking about. So. Um, so if you've if you've had uh, the experience of uh, feeling alone, mm-hmm. or feeling relinquished, or you know, terror terror about the the you know where where the hell's my my, my mom gone right. You're like you, you the 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 damage people say that so the 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 damage is done in relationship or it's broken in relationship so it's it's built in relationship it's it's an experience is countered by another experience so you don't you don't counter experience with you, you don't counter a negative experience with a book for example mm-hmm. you know what I mean it's yeah different. yeah we're talking we're talking about the we're talking about something of, of depth here. Mm-hmm. And a, Another question came to me as, as we're chatting about this stuff is what happens on podcasts is very different. A, a conversation podcast, an interview pod, podcast like uh, yours or mine, that's very different to what we see playing out on some of the social channels, isn't it?
1: very different. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the social channels frequently are so truncated. This is what I commonly refer to as like the elevator version of the story, right? Between the lobby and the 15th floor, you can only tell somebody so much, and that's kind of what social media ends up being is this snippet of what the problems challenges are or, or you know, triumphs might be. Whereas for me, i all i created the podcast because i was telling my own story and it was frequently the elevator version i was sitting there thinking to myself i'm not sure how much deeper i'm going to go with this person i just met them i don't know how how deep our friendship is going to go i start to measure how much is it worth it to go into the entire story do i even have enough time to dig into some of the deeply emotional parts or should I just hit all of the high points and jump from peak to peak in my story? And so the podcast, for me, is an opportunity for me and another adoptee to sit down and talk for an entire hour about their journey, as much as we can fit in from end to end. Tell me what your adoption was like. Tell me what it was like growing up in your community. What was the catalyst for your search? Um, how did you go about it? And you know what was you know, the outcome of your search and, and how did you communicate any of this or share it with your adoptive family? That's stuff that doesn't come up in common conversation. And that's what I try to offer on the podcast, which is drastically different than anything you'll usually see on social media. Because again, it is the elevator version of a small component of an adoptee story. It's it's almost never the entire, the entire sort of movie role, as it were.
0: One of the things thats popping into my head is um I think I don't I think this was before we hit record um but you're talking about having an impact on one person right mm-hmm. and you're uh, as you're as you're describing sitting uh, at, at dinner and having a conversation with uh, what one person you're sharing your story with with one person and it, it's we're we're so i see so much of this we've got to share our story we've got to be we 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 we've, we've, we've got to um we we've got to get people who aren't interested in adoption or, or, or aren't interested in in hearing adoptees voices to um to hear our voices and it's all done on this big scale but mm-hmm. what you're talking about is, no, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have a conversation. I'm gonna share my story if I get if I think somebody's gonna be interested. If I if I am um, sat next to somebody that I've just met and we get onto this, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to them if they're up for it. I'm not gonna um, handcuff them to the <laughs> table. I'm gonna force and, my story on them. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna force a story on them. But you're gonna right. do it, and and I think like that that is a lot more doable. When when I see this stuff on social saying, well, I heard this from somebody actually on a on a a webinar I was running with a, a marketing person, right? I, so about about um, writing your story, getting your book published. On it, she was a publisher, adoptive one. And and um, this person said, oh, I I want non adoptees. I want to write a book for non adoptees about adoption trauma, basically. Right So, and I and I, I just shrank inside when I thought, well, they've got their stuff to worry about. Why Why would they want to read something about our stuff that's not on their radar? Um, and it, yeah. it's like you're setting we're setting ourselves up for a, a failure if we try and interest people in stuff. Who aren't interested in it? Like you would, you if if you have any one of those conversations with someone around the table, and they don't seem to be interest interested in it, you, you you'll pick on something else. I'm sure a, a natural
1: relationship. Yeah, it, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but let's take it up to a different level. So, under the guise of what you're saying, it's better, not better. We should just continue to speak in sort of our insular circles of adoptees who are already listening to each other. And I would argue, let's let's take the let's take the newspaper, for example. Like, I'm not interested in every single story in the newspaper on a personal level, but they write those stories to inform us of things that are going on in our world, right? I was just reading a story earlier today about the the amount of garbage that's being produced in the country of India. And how challenging it is to manage that issue. I'm not East Indian. I'm not a. I have no remote interest in the the refuse of any given city, let alone an entire country. But I read that article because it was fascinating to me. And this is the opportunity that we offer others is to give an insight into our world that they may not have had any familiarity with. This is part of the power of a TV show like This Is Us, where I don't know if they were showing that in the UK, but in America, this is an incredible show that shows the diversity of a family that is brought together by adoption among many other challenges. And it brought to the mainstream what adoption narratives can be. And, you know, we write articles in newspapers and, and we go on radio shows. But one of my favorite things to do actually is to try to find other podcasts that are not about adoption to be on. Because one, my adoption story is just, uh, forgive me, an entertaining, like really interesting story, in my opinion. And I like to share that. But then that also offers me the opportunity to talk about the podcast and the fact that my story is one of only 220 that I've even heard, let alone the millions of adoption stories that are, are global And by me being in non-adoptee circles, talking about adoption issues, it offers people who are just generally interested in human interest stories to get a glimpse into adoption. So I, I don't think it sort of sets us up for failure. I think it sets us up for an exposure that many people didn't realize that they even wanted or were interested in. Uh, because they didn't know what our world was at all. They were unfamiliar, um, unaware, and didn't wouldn't have known how to even seek out this information if, if it had occurred to them. You know, I wonder what the adoption experience is like. So I encourage people to go outside of our concentric circles of adoptees who are listening to each other on the same podcast and reading all of our own books and, you know, talk about some of the amazing books that you've read with a non-adoptee and and bring that book in. If it's home on your shelf, bring it to your coworker and say, here's the book I was telling you about and let them explore it for themselves and share podcasts that you think are of interest to other people and let them decide for themselves if they want to engage with it or not. But I definitely think that there's a lot of opportunity for us to get um, outside of ourselves and share our stories because they are interrelated with several other issues, you know, on a global scale too. Thank you for bringing
0: me to a better, a, a bigger perspective on that, Damon.
1: Sure, sure.
0: Yeah. My, you know what, um, my belief in what heals us is when we see something differently. Mm-hmm. And you help me see that differently. You help me see
1: it differently. And I would encourage you, Simon, to go try, try to find some podcasts in the UK that are talking about family issues or, you know, uh, psychological issues of trauma and things like that, like whatever you think you could go on and and go out there and tell some of your story, because I think it'll be enlightening for other people who have no idea what your experience has been. and And they... May find themselves listening to your show or find trying to find more information about other shows, blogs, books, whatever. Yeah.
0: So my last, thank you. I'm going to do that. Um, So that my last question for you really, Damon is, what do you think stops us healing? How do we get in our own way on our healing stuff? What hinders our healing?
1: I think there's several things that hinder healing one to start outside of ourselves is a lack of resources in this area. I'm no expert, but to me, it feels like a burgeoning area. I was just speaking with a woman last night who is doing some work in the counseling area. She's a therapist. She's working on an online resource that's going to be available for therapists, but she's making that resource available because there's an opportunity, because it doesn't exist, because there are so, ther- so many therapists who are not adoption competent that she sees an opportunity to fill a gap. And so part of what stops the healing is a lack of, actual valid resources and places to go to even begin the healing journey a lot of times, there are several people out there who, like their first instinct is oh my gosh i'm going through something i need to find a therapist and if they try to find a therapist and the, they're not able to find an adoption competent therapist that is a that's a blocker to healing right there another one is clearly inside of ourselves Thinking that you, you know, in the cases of of men. So let's talk about men for a second, because I think a lot of people will agree that often men are taught to hold their emotions back. You're you're taught to man up, right? You you, <laughs> I've often joked you you feel a certain way about a girl as a young guy, and your guys are like, man, get out of here. There's so many girls out there. You don't be falling in love, and you're taught to not feel your emotions and and so there's several reasons why i believe men hold back on their emotions but when you're going through an adoption journey a adoption reunification attempt any of this stuff where you're contemplating who am i really what are you know what is my place in this world and all this other stuff like that's crazy emotional and many times men don't feel comfortable being able to express that they're feeling any kind of way about this journey. And so I I guess what I'm trying to say is there's an internal component of even accepting that you are feeling these ways and that you need to express them and then actually doing so. There's, There's two pieces there. I may feel that I need to do it, but then there's the actual execution of doing it, releasing the valve, opening your mouth, pouring out your emotions that at least in most men, I believe does not happen. Uh, But I, but I think that that's true, both for men and women, because in adoption circles, I believe that there are instances when our feelings are invalidated. Non-adoptees will say, well, that was so long ago. Why do you feel that way still? Like you're an adult, get over it. And they don't realize how insensitive that can be because they grew up in their own family. So it's impossible for them to truly fathom growing up in a different family than the one they grew up in. So um, I guess in this instance, the notion that we can have valid feelings that may be pushed down is also a blocker to healing. And it can be intentional or accidental. Sometimes people are just are intentionally saying, you need to get over it because I don't want to hear about it. And then there's other folks who are saying, oh, you need to get over it because they don't realize how the depth of what it is that is you're expressing. Or they just have no exposure to any level of trauma or or challenge in their life like what you're trying to convey. And so it leaves them without a reference point to say, oh, this is kind of like when I went through X. Let me be a little more sensitive here. It doesn't doesn't register for them. And so people don't feel like they can come forth with their, with their feelings in a meaningful way that will allow them to be validated or in any way explored. And, and that can be a blocker too. So I think there's, there's several blockers to healing. Um, and, and we have to sort of tackle them each one by one and build up the areas where resources are lacking.
0: So, um, I, I love that, uh, uh, distinction between ex- uh, internal and external uh, mm-hmm. uh, barriers and, and blockers to healing uh, and the first thing that comes to my mind is is this um a, a adoptee and a adopted mum and a therapist Chaitra uh who's been on the show she has a list of uh, she has a, a a database of 200 plus adoptees who do therapy for. Mm-hmm. Fellow adoptees, right? Um, so these are people with lived experience and the professional qualifications. So I'm going to put a link in that to the to the show notes because I, d- I still don't think that everybody knows that that exists. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I love that distinction between external external and uh, internal, and also the separate the separation between realizing that we need to do something and actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I heard um I so uh da- Damon and I uh listeners also share an interest in, in um in property. I got a an email from a guy uh who is like a property marketing guy. Mm-hmm. And he said, Have you ever felt the weight of procrastination? And and I thought Come on. I mean, yeah, we feel it, but he's making it. He, he's, he, he's, he, he is drawing attention to something that we do as human beings. He's perhaps over gilding the lily, as we would say in the new, you know, we're making a non thing a thing. Yeah. You know? but yeah. Procrastination. Um. I, yeah. I don't, I can't remember how to spell it, but do you know, it, it's like th- there is that gap. There is that gap between realizing that we need to do something and and doing it. And uh so I would uh, I, I would suggest to listeners if you're looking at if 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 you know if, if you're not happy with where you are on your your healing journey, then m- maybe look at this. Look at these distinctions that draw uh, that um, Damon's drawing us to in terms of external uh, barriers that we can't do anything about, internal barriers that hopefully we've got a little bit more control about, and and then that that other that that gap, the the, the gap between the realizing the knowing and knowing gap, and the mm-hmm. knowing yeah I know yeah I know and no I, I know I need to do some stuff mm-hmm. on that yeah
1: yeah
0: brilliant is there anything else that you'd like to share damon thank you we i'm conscious of we've been on for about an hour or so
1: you know i guess in conclusion i just want to give encouragement to the community right because there is there's a lot of sadness there's a lot of trauma there's a little a lot of mixed feelings out there um But I really believe that we all have the power within ourselves to heal, especially if we get the supports that we need. And I want folks to remember that they're not alone, that podcasts like yours and mine's, we talked about Haley's, there's books like Angela Tucker's, um, you know, what is it I don't Tell Me I Should Be Thankful or Grateful or whatever it's, uh, forgive me for butchering the title, but Angela Tucker's book is amazing. Um, you talked about Pam Car- Caranova coming on the show. She's got a blog. She's a prolific writer about the challenges of adoption and healing and, and all of the components of uh, trauma and healing. I mean, there's so many resources out there. I just want folks to feel like they're not alone, that you can reach out to any one of us anytime and say you want to talk and be on the show and we can talk through what some of your issues and challenges of your journey have been but just don't feel like you're alone because there are many many of us out there, there as you walk down the street you're passing two or three adoptees at a time and on any given block probably and uh, and they probably got some of the same questions that you do so you're not alone in this world there's plenty of us out here reach out and we're happy to chat with you and and offer support. Great. Thanks a lot, Diamond. You've been a star, my friend. My friend, thanks for having me, Simon. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, listeners. Uh, We'll speak to you very soon. Take care. Bye-bye.